When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome to part two of Inside the Boiler Room, the Writer's Roundtable. Previously, you heard me speaking with Adam Katz, Mary DePippi, and Erica Grumet about our responses to how do we define ourselves as writers and also how do we define our audience. Adam just asked me a question about who I'm writing for and connecting it back to my coming out experience in 2008. And that's where we pick up this part. So we hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, here's my answer. Mm-hmm. Right. Do, do you want to, do you want to elaborate on that before I, before I continue making my point? Cause I, yeah, I would sure. love to that was, your... oh, that was my Twitter response. Yeah, thank exactly. you for remembering. I forgot. Um, <laughs> that was another younger self when I wrote that. Um, so, yeah, I said that, and it is true. I I write for the Andrew who was coming out in 2008 when he first read Call Me By Your Name because I'm writing for, I'm writing for that younger self who wanted to see him reflected as a gay man coming out. And that's my, it's a purpose. Um, and I think as writers, you need a purpose. Mm-hmm. Like, that is, to me, the ultimate writer's block is not knowing the purpose. Right. So, mm-hmm. but so I don't wait, know. Who wait, I wait. I, um, so, sorry. I, the, the, I, I want to jump off of this point. Um, okay. There, some something that that I remember um, re, uh, reading very frequently at a certain point in college uh, when I was reading a, uh, I was taking a, a history class about the South, and we were reading a lot of Southern. Uh, writers um, and a lot of a lot of these writers they have like a very very strong sense of place right you read Flannery O'Connor you couldn't imagine those stories taking place anywhere else but where they take place and the same thing with Eudora Welty and I I mean I would argue the same thing with with somebody like James Baldwin right um, like there are a few writers where where you couldn't take their novels and 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 just and just plant them somewhere else. And there are there are novelists where you could do that, and that's a, that's its own choice. Um, but when you say something particular, you also say something universal. That's the that's the point, right? That's mm-hmm. that's the point behind a Eudora Welty novel or a Flannery O'Connor short story, right? Is that you get as specific and as narrow as possible, and you end up coming back around. And so that's what I think, Andrew, uh, you were doing in this moment in writing for yourself in, at a particular time. Everybody else is not you at that time, but the hope is to say something that speaks to, uh, the, to, to that confused adolescent in us all, right? And I think moreover that we all, that for all of us, our first reader is ourselves, right? And, and most likely ourselves at a, at a time of transition, at a time where like of trauma and change and whatever that, that, that we continue to feel. 
And that's why, right? That's why two ostensibly intelligent humans like Andrew and myself can be at such loggerheads about how a, a, sh a short story should progress. It's because we, it's because we, we are different audiences ultimately. Um, and, mm -hmm. and so you, 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 you write something as specific as possible, as, as meaningful as possible to mm -hmm. yourself. And then you give it wings and wish it luck. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say, I didn't want to like criticize that you were wanting to make it be more obvious about Shakespeare. Because obviously, Whatever. like we were talking about as writers, we do have to choose our audiences. But I think it's just, I feel like I was coming more from a place of, just wanting your work to be seen by as many people as possible. Therefore, the ambigu ambigu the, the ambiguity, ambiguous, yeah, ambiguity. ambiguity. Thank you. I don't know yeah, why I couldn't form that it word. <laughs> My mouth was not <laughs> working. My no, brain was like, why can't we say not. this? <laughs> but that's why, like for me, like that's why I want it for you because I want as many people as possible to read your work because... But that's also my opinion of how I define my audience is trying to reach as many people as possible. Yes, are there certain niches, certain genres that we all have to technically fall in line to in order for that to be, right. for that to happen? You know, yeah. Um, and that is that is a difference of approach. Like some people, they 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 try, like they purposely try to reach an audience that's out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, you always have mm -hmm. yourself as an audience, but then there's also, and um, Andrew, you and your, you and you with your um, public speaking gigs and so on could, could certainly speak to this, right? Like, I mean, you have to think to yourself, okay, what, what do other, like, what kind of performance mm -hmm. are they paying me to give? Um, mm -hmm. It's yeah. a fair question. They want to hear, they want to hear literary mm -hmm. works. Like they, it's good when you do close readings. Like actually, like I actually read a whole poem because, and it's not something I would include. all of some of myself to your, to your lecture listeners. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, never I mean, I, I want to point, talk about though, about oh. knowing your audience. I don't know who I write for. And I, that's been right. part of the problem with defining myself as a writer is I'm sitting here putting words on pages. I mean, I've talked, I, you, you've all heard my, my Jackson Pollock metaphor. I take the yeah, words, yeah. I throw them at the page and some things stick and sometimes they look nice. Um, well, I'm gonna admit too, Erica, I don't know my audience. No, but you have an like, audience. I don't actually know who's, right? We're never no. gonna know. No, but you have a vision of, I, of who is likely to okay. pick up what you're writing, whether right. it's a scholarly yeah, audience, yeah. whether it's, you know, you know whether whether it's it's the people who are who's who are our podcast right. listeners right. who are you know you know on your on your tours yeah I, like I noticed, we don't notice in the analytics we have a fan in Ecuador Ooh. yeah hello go. Ecuador hi. how are you Ecuador, and there was somebody in Sweden too hello Sweden. okay well hi Ecuador. anyway okay we'll do that whole podcast up anyway time. no but, but Erica Erica I swear you do have an audience you're just like it's it's the same it's the same thing um, with every with everything else. If you if you if you start if you give the same level of thought that you've been giving to calling yourself a writer to say uh, to claiming 
an audience for yourself, you'll find the answer. I just, um, because I you'll start, you'll start with your, read it, you know, that's like, that's, that's, that's almost kind irrelevant. of the point is, that's yeah, almost that is, irrelevant. I agree. You, I do agree with Adam. Uh, you start with mm-hmm. who, who am I writing for? Like who, mm-hmm. which, which part of myself needs to write? Yeah. Or yeah. which well, part and, of and myself is, wants to write? Like for me, it's, that's your need. audience. I mean, yeah. it is a need at this point. That's exactly. That's been the hardest thing about putting my things aside to spend so much time on the blog lately is, 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 well, wait, what about me? I just want to say Erica had a very visceral response when Mm -hmm. I said I had a purpose and I thought that was really interesting because I don't want to let that go. I thought it it, it was a moment of difference of opinion. And I kind of wanted to hear Erica, why you were visibly, um, yeah, at odds when I'm like, well, no, I know my purpose is like that point in my life when I was working through my trauma of being bullied and then coming out, which I'm returning to again in my life, which is interesting how these things happen. But um, was this, you mean now or was this when we were talking no, about no. it? The no, day? No, no, now during this organic conversation. Oh, oh I mean, because, you know, because we, we, we've talked about per- per- excuse me, we've talked about purpose and trauma and things like that. Um, I, I think it's, 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 it's probably it's two things. Um, one is that um, I, a lot of what I write is, I mean, is trauma driven. I mean, let's, let's be real here. You three can speak to that. Um, God, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I don't want to be writing somebody else's trauma porn. I want to write because I want to write. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, I mean, there's other pieces to that too. You know, I don't necessarily think that people are going to want to read about trauma in my life. Maybe there, maybe there are some, some people out there that, you know, that, that do. Um, well, I think I found your purpose, but I'm going to leave it. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I wonder, and, and I'm sure, I know that Adam has heard me have this, have this breakdown more than once, but what happens when the trauma runs out? Hmm. I mean, can I write about other things? Um, and I've, I mean, I've, I've experimented with that a little bit lately. Um, and, uh, you know, what else is in there? There's, you know, there's a lot of pieces of it, but. Yeah. I hope this isn't too simplistic, but uh-huh. is what you're doing a trauma healing project? Not, you know, it, it never has been intentionally. Um, I mean, the reason I stopped writing kind of was a convergence of trauma, um, all at once and um you know a number a number of different things happened in rapid succession um and you know i don't want see and that's that's just it i want to write because there is love and joy and passion and and that doesn't happen. Uh, 
positivity isn't the right word, but but I want to write because I I want to write because it feels good to write. I don't want to write for therapy. Therapy is therapy, and that's great. And I I love my I I, I love my therapy time. Like you know that that time each week for me to like see focus when I'm using, on me. When I use the word therapy, I don't mean in the clinical sense of having a therapist. I mean therapy in terms of what gets you through those moments of joy internally. That's how I'm oh, using therapy. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I, you know, I, it's, it's not about processing. I, you know, I don't want it to be about processing that stuff. That's not. That's not why. You know, if that if that's what it were was, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't want to share it but I want to you know I, I've gone from I don't have anything to share I don't want anybody to see this I can't show it to anybody to I don't like this one enough to share it I'm going to just put it away hmm. but I really like this one even if it's still kind of raw Interesting. Um, yeah. I mean it's it's been a real evolution yeah. um I'm glad. No, it's important. See, I, I actually, you're helping me define. This is so good that we're doing this for all of you out there. Um, no, but I think I do write for healing. I'm starting to see. I write. I notice that my writing tends to try to find a voice of someone confronting that they're going to eventually work through the challenge and then come out on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, like oh. even in my article in a way, it's how do I continue to teach this problematic author right. and confront it, right? That's an obstacle. So maybe, yeah, I write for, I write obstacles <laughs> and try to figure it out. and. You know, tomorrow I might change how I define that, but um, yeah. I, think, I, I sort of think about it as photography hmm. in words. I, I preserve, I want, you know, and, and I say, I, I can't remember how I wrote it. I wrote about this, you know, in this current draft of my big think, but it's, it's preserving moments. It's preserving little you know, little things, um, like the way that if you look at, if you pick up a leaf, a green leaf that's on the ground, but that's been attacked by a caterpillar and you look at the holes in the leaf, look very carefully and you'll see how there's that hole with its jagged edge and how it shifts in color from brown to yellow to green. Mm. That's what I want. I want those, 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 that I want to preserve that 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 moment you or want the, the strawberry leaf in my fingers the other day that I wrote about you don't want the break you don't want just from um what do they call the um the larva is that what's the first stage of a caterpillar Pu or I mean the egg but I mean <laughs> after that I think it's it is the larva. I think it's pupa larva okay. Well, but anyway, yeah. Any, any uh, you know, zoologists out there. Um, 
Entomologist. Yeah, entomologist. Uh, so, okay, but my point is like, you don't want just the one stage to the next stage. You want these really, the gradate, the gradations. And yeah. I think that's, well, yeah. I think we found something. I'm gonna stop there because I think, I think you found something. Um, I mean, like, yeah, but okay, it's really, it's, well, it's about photography. It's, it's like taking photographs only with words. That's, you know. But on that, we asked two questions. And um, wow, that was, I think we learned a lot about each other as writers. Um, yeah. Don't we always? Yeah, we do. <laughs> I mean, I've learned a lot. Um, and I think it's interesting like, to um, acknowledge that Mary and I had a very different approach to what Adam was writing. Not that we didn't, right? It's not about not enjoying it. We enjoy the writing. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, is that tension productive for Adam? Do you start that to- is a, That is an open question. Yeah, there we go. Let's leave <laughs> On it. On which I will keep you all updated. Yeah, good. But it goes back to the, that, that, uh, the Matthews at Pruder thing that you, you talked about in the poetry, in the poetry episode, the, the quote that you sent me the other day when I asked for it. Yeah. About how we all look at the, the word, the different words differently. I don't expect you to see what I write the same way I see it. Mm -hmm. I'm certain that Adam doesn't see it the way you see it. I mean, knowing what I know about what I write about and your different experiences. Yeah. Well, and you know. everyone has heard, if you followed during our mental health, and we're going to return to mental health and trauma again. I mean, we kind of did return to trauma right now. Um, <laughs> but. That, mental health awareness month. Yeah, you know. There you go. Good. Thank you for like that. Good. Good. Um, that my poem, taking back my voice. I always wonder how many read my poem and just say, "Oh, that's what happened to Andrew that night." That's not why I wrote it. You know, like I didn't write it as a as a step by step of the sexual assault. Mm -hmm. I wrote well, it as, "How does this speaker?" find his voice to actually try to get to the other side of healing. Well, I have trouble imagining somebody would read it like that, but then well, I'm again, you know, ever the optimist. Well, right, and it's also how do people approach, what does someone want to get out of the writing? Right, that, that's, like if you had that's true. Andrew, okay, maybe we should end here, and then we're going to turn to our listeners, which we're excited for. Um, I think, Again, I'll return back to Adam because we've done this as a long case study, but it would be like Mary and Erica. Like, okay, maybe now, can I connect all of this together? It's like a conference question. Um, but, okay, so say Adam had told me that I need to see Shakespeare in the protagonist. Okay, Erica told me I need to, um, I'm just thinking of like what I've recently just read um, from Erica. Okay, I know that I need to see someone who has gone, like that, her trauma is reflecting like one specific night from her past. Okay, Mary says, I need you to see that it is this mobster and here's his biography, right? I'm gonna have a really different approach when I read their works. True. Because now I've been primed. True. It's also why it's a, it's a, it does connect to teaching. It's like when you teach what happens when you give all the background of an author and then say, here's their work. 
the students are probably going to start to do biographical readings of the work because you've given them the bio. I'm not saying it's not right. It is a type of approach. No, that's a fair point. Yeah. Woo! That's a fair point. Something happens. <laughs> Something happens. <laughs> we'll see. Okay, so we are now going to turn to, I don't know we're gonna, what we should call our voicemail section, but. You know, listener contributions or no, whatever. The boiler, ooh, the boiler room speaks. <laughs> I like that. knocking out the boiler room doors is what they're doing. But I'm now like envisioning an actual personification of a boiler, like. <laughs> like Home Alone style? Yes, that's actually what I was thinking. Okay, um, so we're going to. We're gonna pick it up with our listener. Um, we're gonna first start with who everyone knows who's been following the podcast. Benta Vidibak has weighed in. Hi, I am Benta from Port Jefferson. I am a retired English professor from Stony Brook University and I'm currently working in the Honors College in my retirement. Uh, since around 1990, all my writing has been geared towards uh, the undergraduate population. And what I've been doing is uh, introducing, editing and footnoting Renaissance drama. I have uh, edited and had published two anthologies, one on revenge tragedy and one on histories. And I'm currently working on domestic tragedy that will be published in, in the ivory tower boiler room. The reason I'm doing what I'm doing is that while I taught these plays, I found that either the, the footnotes are unnecessarily convoluted or not enough. So I decided to, to do something that would hit the medium, try and meet the need and not exceed the need. And uh, the plays I've used in the classroom have had success and people have told me, and I quote my kid, you don't make spastic footnotes. Enough, Andrew. All right. Okay, and there's Bence's response. So, group. Which I love is, her. This I, is the I, I could listen to her read her shopping list. And this is the first time that Mary and Adam are hearing it. Erica and I actually heard it when she recorded, so we got a little heads up. Um, okay. So I love I love Adam on footnotes. It, it, um, was it in your big think or your other essay? It was in my big think. Yeah. There will Would not be, see? what did I say? There will not be footnotes and if there will, they'll be sarcastic as fuck. Something like <laughs> yeah. that. Well, I know uh, Erica wanted to say something in response to this. Um, I, do, it, 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 I mean, I don't wanna, I don't wanna soak up a whole lot of time tonight on it. Um, we'll, you know, I'm sure we'll do another round table that has to do with um, identity stuff another time, but um, yeah, it's just the word spastic stuck out to me. Um, the rest of the rest of our audience does not know that I am um, I am a uh, a disabled person and um, actually became disabled as an adult. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of changes my perspective on things. And um, one of the things I try and do is. You know, just like just like just like any you know marginalized community, I try and address, you know, I, I address that kind of language when it's used. 
in you know ways that that might not be the most sensitive um so you know if you want to um if you want to dig into that yourself feel free if uh if the rest of you all want me to i will um put some resources uh up went up in the uh, episode notes when we put this up on the blog about um the language of disability yeah, and Erica, I had found disability studies readers, anthologies of those who do disability studies. So we're going to include that here just for anyone like Erica saying who's interested in how language around disabilities, yep. how it gets framed, but also like how Bentis cited her undergrad students saying that to her, right? It was a quote from a student. And I think it's Absolutely. important that you know, like the students saying you're making this more accessible for the public, which ties back to our whole conversation. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because accessibility right. is, you know, opens up usually those who have different identities. So I think yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting way. I'm glad you brought it up, Erica. I think it's necessary. Sure. And yeah, I mean, and it's something we can talk more about, uh, you know, on another episode. Oh, or we will. Yeah, we're gonna. Um, definitely gonna have a round table on disability studies and if people those if people have questions by the way feel free to tweet them at us that's important or email yeah. or um you know facebook them or whatever yeah and thank you benta that was mm -hmm. we're we are so excited that you are publishing with us right yeah. Uh, yeah. and that everyone soon can see benta's um first play that she released to us with um, very accessible footnotes that don't have jargon, which is important because yeah. if you've ever tried it, especially the one I will point to, get the Moby Dick Norton critical edition and those footnotes. <laughs> Editor, he, he does a great job footnoting everywhere he can, but it becomes that kind of meta text where you want to just then read the footnotes and the footnotes themselves could be Moby Dick. So it's an interesting, <laughs> no, it's an, it's important, but it's also, right? Who is your audience here? And for that, it tends to then be the scholars. So yeah. thank you, Benta. It's important work. We're excited to release it to all of you. So next we have um, someone who Adam and I actually have interviewed. You haven't heard his interview yet. So here you go. Here's a nice preview of how he defines himself as a writer. Um, this is Eric Peace. So here's Eric weighing in. Hi, listeners of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. My name is Eric Zhang from Hong Kong, currently a lecturer in a self-financed college, doing both teaching and research. I think I will label myself as an impulsive writer. I mean, that are usually write in impulses, short bursts of energy. This seems to sound lack of organization and discipline, but I love the sense of achievement when I finished my, my assignments on time or in time, depending on how you see it. It's the hardest to write during the semester because everyone of us is very dedicated to teaching, admin and student consultation. Now that I'm in my semester break without a summer teaching job, I can spend four months to write articles, submit grant proposals, and plan ahead. 
Hopefully there will be a couple of beautiful babies out in the coming four months. So uh, my usual writing arenas are academic journals having a specific focus of uh, linguistics and education, as well as my personal blog on the similar topics. So uh, I guess the audiences in both arenas are roughly the same, although the registers I choose for my blog is obviously different. Writing blog posts is relatively easy because ideas just come straight off out of my brain, and I believe readers aren't too concerned about the format or structure, because you know clarity and conciseness is perhaps all they need. Meanwhile, uh, general articles are difficult to write mainly because of the register. You need to reword what you think in order to look professional. Still, I love both identities, or you may say roles, because they are complementary. When I'm running out of ideas for academic writing, I resort to my blog to brainstorm ideas and share my thoughts there. So, in the coming plenary talk I'm invited to speak at, for example, I used my、uh, some of my ideas from my blog to talk about how to teach students to put insights in their essay conclusions, for example, using a linguistic perspective. So, basically,、uh, the idea of taking ideas from blog posts would work sometimes for me. So my final thoughts will be: Don't think, just write. Whenever you have a chance. So thank you so much for listening.、Uh, I wish you all well. Take care and lots of love from Hong Kong. All right, thank you. I love his voice. I honestly didn't pick his accent for Hong Kong. He has a very will, nice accent. You'll、like、hear us talk about his the whole yeah background. There's a lot. His, His accent, he he brings it up as a as a point of interest. I think. Yeah, there's a nice teaser. Well, Eric, that was um, that was wow.、Nice. I just、mm-hmm. like I both him and Benta, like how they framed how they did that so quickly. Which、uh, <laughs> if we each did that,、uh, we'd have an <laughs> episode.、Um, but、uh, no, it was so succinct. I think that idea of going back and forth between the blog. And the academic writing, I thought was really interesting.、Um, mm-hmm. Like when you, he knows when he wants to turn from one to the other.、Mm-hmm. And I think I feel like writers just want to, or some people think that writing or their identity as a writer just has to be one thing. And I've noticed, like even in my time in my master's program, they kind of wanted you to fit in one box、mm. and one box only,、mm-hmm. and that's what you're. That's what you're gonna write, and that just never sat well with me. Yeah, I don't think it's because why should you? <laughs> yeah, that's why we're here. Yeah, we are.、Exactly. We are the outcasts. <laughs> exactly.、Uh, yeah. In a good way. I think I, I think you point to me as the poet, which you know that's another that's another story for another.、Yeah. Well, we have one more. Or wait, do you want to add, Erica? I do actually. Because I, 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 what he said about like that—that that sort of rapid fire, you know, quick, you know, few minutes here and there—resonates with me a lot.、Um, makes me think of William Carlos Williams a little bit.、Yeah. <laughs> of course, you know, here I am ranting about not being a poet and talking about poetry, right?、Um, but I do, I do a lot of that,、um, and I have—I mean, there's, a, I, I, I keep a Google Doc with. Random lines that I like, that I you know have scribbled down, you know that just you know when I you know when I 
if had this this thought or that thought or whatever it, it just the way it came out just sounded really nice yeah and every once in a while i think maybe one day yeah. it would be fun to just see you know what i could turn those into yeah i keep it as a google doc because then i have it on my phone no i like that no i just wanted to now that we're actually doing a YouTube video, I want to show that I actually have my notes to Adam's story at the sign of the red line. Because mm. anything that I now read for pleasure, quote unquote, uh, if it's not like related directly to my um, dissertation, I write down what I read. So like, you know, I don't want to go over everything I wrote because I don't remember at all. But it's basically what Mary and I already were discussing with Adam, which is, um, I said the last few paragraphs cause panic with the reader since it seems like he is going to be trampled in the fight. Well, that's still what I would say. Okay. <laughs> I guess I wasn't that relaxed from the bubble bath that I didn't know what I was writing. Um, so how you took notes in the bath without smearing everything. No, no, there. no. I didn't do it in the bath. No, <laughs> that takes uh, dedication. Um, Actually, yeah. No, it was like Archimedes. You said Eureka and had to like run to your desk. <laughs> okay, so we have one more audio. And um, his name is Dean um, Alemong, right? I think I'm saying that right. It's um, Erica's friend. Um, and this is the first time we're all hearing it. So I'm really excited. Um, thanks, Dean, for submitting yeah, um, a response. So here we go. This comes from Dean. So my writing is nonfiction. It's technical writing. And it's really about a particular subject that I am expert in. And that has to do with sharing data on a global scale. Now, I passionately believe that a lot of the issues have in the world today, so social issues, scientific issues, healthcare, uh, politics, a lot of this heavily has to do with being able to understand how the world responds to the actions we take, and understanding that really comes down to data. So my passion is to democratize the event processing of data so that anyone in the world who has the interest and uh, wherewithal can understand how the world is working in a sort of dispassionate, unemotional way. And when I think about my identity as a writer and who I think of my audience, I really see these the same question. And that's because the standards that I'm expert in take a certain amount of mathematical sophistication, uh, certain experience in working with data and logic that a lot of people don't have. But I feel that an awful lot of people in business and in politics do have a need for this and even many of them understand this and my gift is to be able to take these difficult things and match them with the rationale of people in business people in politics who are trying to understand the world and have a certain towards data but don't quite have the sophistication to work through the math and often i told that my explanations have linked these things to the interests of the people that I'm talking to, and that in contrast to many of my colleagues who get lost in the technical details that I managed to keep this at a level that the business analysts are able to understand. 
whenever I write, I think of a student from one of my classes or one of my clients who gets it. They understand the power of data and they want to exploit this, but they really can't get the technology to work for them. And what I do is explain the rationale of the standards, why they are the way they are, how these can be made to act in the service of these people. And that is why I write. And I have a number of projects about uh, some finance models that I've worked on that I really want to express the rationale why this is the way it is that you can use it. I have some ideas about the whole enterprise and how do you produce artifacts that help people share data and apply it to their real world. And this is the passion that, that drives my writing and I find myself with too many projects that I don't finish any of them except for the one book that's actually sold pretty well um, but I have so many manuscripts that are competing for my attention I really hope to get time I'm actually taking a month off later on this year to see if I can really move some of these projects forward wow so my writing is non-fiction it's technical writing and it's really about a particular subject that I am expert in and that has to do with sharing data on a global scale. Now, I passionately believe that a lot of the issues we have in the world today, so social issues, scientific issues, healthcare, uh, politics, a lot of this heavily has to do with being able to understand how the world responds to the actions we take. And understanding that really comes down to data. So my passion is to democratize the processing of data so that anyone in the world who has the interest and uh, wherewithal can understand how the world is working in a sort of dispassionate, unemotional way. And when I think about my identity as a writer and who I think of my audience, I really see these as the same question. And that's because the standards that I'm expert in take a certain amount of mathematical sophistication, uh, certain experience in working with data and logic that a lot of people don't have. But I feel that an awful lot of people in business and in politics do have a need for this, and even many of them understand this. And my gift is to be able to take these difficult things and match them with the rationale of people business people in politics who are trying to understand the world and have a certain app towards data but don't quite have the sophistication to work through the math and often I told that my explanations have linked these things to the interests of the people that I'm talking to and that in contrast to many of my colleagues who get lost in the technical details that I managed to keep this at a level that the business analysts are able to understand. And whenever I write, I think of a student from one of my classes or one of my clients who gets it. They understand the power of data and they want to exploit this, but they really can't get the technology to work for them. And what I do is explain the rationale of the standards, why they are the way they are, how these can be made to act in the service of these people. And that is why I write. And I have a number of projects about uh, some finance models that I've worked on that I really want to express the rationale why this is the way it is so that you can use it. I have some ideas about the whole enterprise and how do you 
produce artifacts that help people share data and apply it to their real world. And this is the passion that, that drives my writing. And I find myself with too many projects that I don't finish any of them, well, except for the, the one book that's actually sold pretty well. Um, but I have so many manuscripts that are competing for my attention. I really hope to get time. I'm actually taking a month off later on this year to see if I can really move some of these projects forward. First, Dean, I uh, am imagining that you're in the subway because I, <laughs> I, like, I, I know, I heard it too. Whatever that ambient noise is, I am here for. I love mm -hmm. it. Uh, he may have been on his balcony. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I like it. It, it was it, the ambient emotion. No, it was good. It, it was it was like an ASMR. Right. <laughs> well, I I love that. I always love to hear from a fellow utopian. Um, I really do. Uh, like some somebody somebody who who believes that 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 they're that they're writing if it falls into the right hands can make the world a better place. I I hope so. Yeah. I hope so for all our sakes. And I think well, I like that idea of. Right, Dean says democratizing. Benta has said accessible. Yes. Um, Eric had a similar kind of phrasing too um, about, you know, when he was talking about his blog writing, like how yeah. it's more for the public. This, yeah, there's this common thread. And I think I if anything, well, first, I just want to thank. Benta, Eric, and Dean, because that does take vulnerability for you to send us a recording, have us <laughs> have our expressions present yeah. if you're watching. Um, and react to it us, in real time. Yeah, and have us discuss and, you know, thank you all for doing that. It really means a lot, I know, to continue our conversations. So um, please, everyone else, you saw it wasn't that <laughs> we are not um, auditioning each of you. <laughs> this is not a chorus line. <laughs> Um, so yeah, please continue. To I, I've known Dean for a long time, but he kind of epit epitomizes the word sapiosexuality to me. He like thrills my nerd brain. Um, okay, Erica, we're not at that part of the podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> oh, I love it. Be, there will never be anything like that there, yeah. but it's just like, I love, I love my conversations with him yeah. because it just, I it fills my nerd brain. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm like, like, just yeah, yeah. Like, his passion behind the word data. I'm like, you'll have to I get wanna, him. I want to hear more. Yeah, he believes well, it. Mm -hmm. I, I respect you'll, it. you'll get him on the podcast later yeah, this we, year sometime. Well, Dean, we are, we're going to find, we have your email, so we are going to reach out. Um, <laughs> Someone said it, though. I like that he used the word passion. I feel like we haven't. Or maybe we did, but you know, I just like that he used that word. You know, and that it was from a um, scientific field, right? And he said mm -hmm. the word passion, mm -hmm. right? Because you usually, when you hear passion, you usually think creative writers, exactly, and not really analytical writers. There you go. Oh, but, yeah. And yeah. Erica, can you um, can you read what Jillian Jillian um, Picora? Thank you for tweeting it. Sure. Um, Erica, Erica um, will now read what um, Jillian had tweeted us. Yep. Um, and Jill, uh, Jill is a friend of mine. Um, 
and uh, let's see. Um, so um, she works in um, uh, news, okay. but um, also writes creatively. Um, so I guess that background is, is useful. It's helpful. Um, she says, I'm a writer, but I don't think something I do defines me. It's part of who I am, part of the sum, but not the whole of who I am. I hope my writing conveys the thoughts and meanings I attribute to it. But once a piece is out in the world, it belongs to the reader, not to me. Wow. Yeah. That's and, a I mean, conclusion to this because. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, as somebody who has a really hard time sharing what I write, I totally, totally get that feeling. Mm -hmm. I think there's two sides of that coin, though. I think, you know, the author still holds what that story is to them. But again, on the other side of that coin is once it's released into the world, it does belong to the reader. You can't control how readers view your work and you're never going to be able to. And I think that's just such a strange thing because again, coming as a creative writer, I feel like I have such a level of control over my stories mm. and how it's presented and the language. I mean, and again, that just comes with being the writer. You just have that control. In some ways you are like, the you know yeah. all-knowing being <laughs> of the book you know but again once it gets out into the world and each individual reader is experiencing it and internalizing it at least hopefully they internalize it to some extent um you know it that's out of your control you can't force them to see your work how you wanted it to be seen it's totally up to them exactly See, that's so different for me because it's to me it's sort of like a a one-size-fits-all sweater except you know you're gonna put the sweater on three different people and it's gonna look three different ways mm -hmm. um well, so i know whatever i put out there yeah. isn't necessarily going to be seen the way i wrote it and I think that's what makes it so hard for me to put things out sometimes. Mm -hmm. There's a fear. That's a fear, right? It is. It mm -hmm. is. It's like, now that my article's out there, I'm moving forward in my process. I'm like, yes, of course, there's like books, there's text that I now see. And I'm like, oh, that would have been so interesting there. But right, it's an evolving conversation, but that piece is done. But it doesn't mean I can't now continue that into another writing piece mm -hmm. and maybe as we conclude i um i just feel like everyone we've had on the podcast has had that kind of similar um process as an artist like matt alcoin once his whitman opera crossing was done he moved to eurydice i mean there's an arc that he talks about in the episode um but like i've asked him like would you ever return again to Whitman and he said I said what I had to say about it like it's there and the same is true of Renee's choreography like I've asked her before what do you what do you do after you've done the choreography of say Tarzan she said it's done like it is now a finished piece for mm -hmm. her 
And I understand that because, <laughs> you know, once it's out there, um, you move on creatively. It doesn't mean I think you leave it. I think though it evolves, you know? I think um, it's like, you're just leaving little pieces of yourself, but like in everything you have to move on. You can't just be stuck on one thing or one aspect of your life because you're never going to be able to move on and grow. Well, is that, you the, know? is that the writer's block? is well, what, but one of the aren't, you aren't doing a Hansel and Gretel trail, you know, mm -hmm. like <laughs> you're not following the cookie crumbs. You have to figure out it's more of, um, it's probably Whitman, the, you know, the two paths taking the road less traveled. Is that Whitman? Am I right? You're close. You're oh. close. That's Robert oh, Frost. Damn it. No, it's okay. Robert Frost is basically Whitman's 20th century uh, <laughs> uh, plagiarist. But I mean, wait, wait. Man, I feel like they were taught in the same thing in high school. Yeah, no, he is, he is. He's a naturalist. Probably were. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's, and that's one of the things I, I have had to learn to stop asking is, is it finished? Mm. It's finished when I know it's, when I know it is, mm. and Ooh. I'm not good at telling when it's there yet. I'm working. That's something I'm working towards. And so I'm still very much reliant on outside readers for that piece. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm getting better at it. I mean- You're about you to know. release something. I know you will. And because out of all of us, I think Erica is the only one who hasn't released her work. Maybe I have Adam not. Is about, Adam's releasing his story. So um, uh, thank you, Adam, for, Ooh. you know, now it's out of his hands. And it is, that is, it's anxiety ridden. Of course. Well, I'm releasing a draft of this Well, okay, he's releasing a draft. See, he said draft, but okay. But um, don't we all say that? I know. He's releasing. Yeah. No, 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 in this case, they're-, they're He's still releasing a story. I know I need to work on. <laughs> I don't know, you know, I was reading Dylan Thomas today and, uh, um, you, you know, in, in there, there were notations in the edition that I was reading about where he had crossed things out in pencil or, you know, left notes to himself. So, you know, sometimes they even mm. release the draft and leave him alone. Okay, so we are leaving our own draft right now and concluding. Yeah, we're gonna... So we wanna thank you all. Um, wow. I, I always say, it's true though. Every time we all meet together, and why I love this roundtable format now <laughs> is we're learning, I'm learning so much about the whole team, like just our own process. And um, ah, so exciting. Well, thanks all for a Friday night that was um, where I would wanna be. Um, and hope you all feel the same. Um, excited that we're now up on YouTube. Um, yeah. So good night. Stay well, everyone. We hope you're all, you know, enjoying the podcast. Um, Adam, your due diligence, you know what it is. Please. So, yeah, we're going to thank you all for listening. Um, make sure to visit us at our website, ivorytowerboilerroom.com. You'll see links to the blog, to our Twitter, to other podcast episodes. You'll also see two different rough drafts of the story we discussed in this episode for reference. 
I'm also pleased to announce, and this is in an ivory tower boiler room first, that this episode is being uploaded to YouTube so you can see our beautiful faces as we discuss writing and life, the universe and everything. Link below. And now here's Blackberry Blossoms arranged by Michael O'Brien and performed by Michael O'Brien on the guitar and Emily Bryan on the recorder. Thank you. 